Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. We're in chambers this week, clearing the docket. How are you, Judge Hodgman? I'm very happy because uh, if my predictions are correct, this episode will go out uh, on a very special day, February 22nd, uh, George Washington's birthday and my wife's. Happy birthday, George Washington. Oh, happy birthday, George Washington. That's so sweet of you. Did you know I was married to George Washington? I had no idea. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The Washington estate is very upset with me having having married the corpse of George Washington. They say it's not legal. Right. But I say love cannot be stopped. Love is love is love. It's weird because I'm actually married to the ghost of George Washington. That's why we're such great friends. (laughs) We can totally relate to each other. You're a little stinkier than I am, but... I, I will agree that my relationship with George Washington is more sensual. Yours is more intellectual. <laughs> Let's get off this train and get on the docket clearing train. I think we just created a, a truly special animated sitcom for a cable network. That's what I'm going to say. Guaranteed seven episodes. Here's a case that needs clearing from Dawn. She writes, My husband Mark and I have been blissfully married for 25 years, but we have a nagging bone of contention. When making the bed, I contend that the top sheet should be placed with the pattern side down. That way, when the covers are turned back, you see the lovely pattern. Mm -hmm. Mark insists that the printed side should face up. He even points out that the tag is hidden if it's placed the way he wants it. I'm fed up with Mark's muttering and shaking his head every time we change the sheets. Judge, help him see the light. First of all, at the risk of sounding sheet racist, (laughs) all sheets should be white, period. (laughs) That is the way I feel about the world. Or at least solid color. No, I take it back. All should be bleach blindingly white. That's in my life, all sheets are white. But I appreciate that other people have different tastes. And I have seen some very tasteful patterned and colored sheets in my time. And normally speaking, I would say that the person who makes the bed gets to make these sorts of decisions as to whether or not the fuller pattern side should go down or up. But in this case, I'm not even going to say that. I think Dawn's right. I think you want to, if you're going to put some colors into your bed sheets, you want to show your colors. You want to fly your flag, your pattern flag. And yeah, so you want to put the, the pattern side of the flat sheet down so that when you fold it back, you can see it in all its glory. And as far as Mark's thing about the, the tag, the tag should be at the bottom, dude. Tag that goes down the bottom. Yeah, does Mark think that sheets aren't covered by a blanket? Maybe not. <laughs> the folded down part should be the only part of the sheets that you see. That's the part right. that's not covered by the blanket. Yeah. The rest of the sheets you only see, you don't see with your with your head eyes, you see with your with your skin eyes. You just feel it. Oh yeah. Oh, you know what's the greatest? What's that? Clean sheets. Oh, yeah, they are great, especially nice sheets. I got some sheets that were recommended by uh, Buzz Marketing Alert, the Sweet Home, my favorite website. Yeah, go ahead, Buzz Market them. Yeah, I, I should have been listening to them all along. None of those numbers on sheets uh, are believable. You can't even really feel sheets in the store because they're treated with a lot of facing chemicals and so forth. 
Um, so really all you have to go on is past experience and a guess, unless you read those reviews on the Sweet Home, and boy, do they steer you right. Yeah, you know, the Sweet Home, I, I, I got to say this, though, since you brought it up, and there hasn't, how, how far into this are we, nine minutes? Yeah. We haven't made a single New England reference. So let me <laughs> point out that uh, the highest recommended sheets in the Sweet Home, it may be revised, I'm not going to look at it right now, but it may be revised since the last time I looked at it, uh, are produced by a company in Maine called L.L. Bean. And there was a little bit of a ruckus because our president, Donald Trump, threw some praise slash shade at L.L. Bean on Twitter recently, <laughs> causing everyone to say, everyone boycott L.L. Bean. We want to clarify. I talked to my man, Alex Steed, up at the Portland Press Herald, uh, journalist up there, good dude, good blogger. And he pointed out, no, 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 no. Linda Bean, who is like the granddaughter of the original Lyle Leverett or, or whatever. I, I believe Lois Lane Bean or whatever. Ladies the, love Bean. Ladies love Bean. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, she is really into Trump and she runs a, a lobster roll stand on the premises, but is only a member of the board. And the, the company itself has no political affiliation. And though she gave a whole bunch of money to Trump, that doesn't mean that you have to boycott L.L. Bean. That said, you can get sheets, you, whatever the Sweet Home recommends, go ahead and do it. Even if they recommend that you buy from a war criminal. No, don't do that. <laughs> I did buy, I have to admit, a Slobodan Milosevic blender. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It was weird that Nikolai Ceausescu, before he died, was selling ShamWows, but they were good. <laughs> and you know what? If you need a set of cookware... You could do a lot worse than Pol Pot's. Quick note to our listeners, all of these people are historical monsters, super terrible people who caused real pain in the world. Read their history and be wary against tyranny every day. For real. Let's move on. Here's something from Gordon. During the 2008 Summer Olympics, the U.S. women's gymnastic team took the all-around gold medal. I posted my congratulations on Facebook. A friend then told me that I had spoiled the gymnastics final for her because she'd planned to watch the delayed telecast that night. Can you spoil an athletic event in that manner? Well, now I'm really annoyed because I, I hadn't gotten around to watching the 2008 Summer Olympics yet. I have it taped, and I was going to watch the gymnastics event tonight, and now it was spoiled for me by my own podcast. <laughs> I would say this. First of all, stop posting things on Facebook. Second of all, stop reading Facebook. Except unless you're reading the Judge John Hodgman group on Facebook. That's the only good Facebook. Sorry, Facebook. The Flophouse group is pretty good. The Flop, all right. You can use Facebook. But here's what I'm going to say. Though I have no interest in sports, I do think I have become attuned to the sensitivity of people who aren't able to watch sporting events live. And... Normally, I would say, if you can't get around to watching a thing, then don't look at media that might spoil it for you because people, sports is one of the last things, the last bit of culture that people watch in real time in a televised manner. And you, and that's the, the risk you take. You go out there into the world after a sports game has happened. The one exclusion I make, though, is the Olympics because the all the time shifting that happens because it's often in another part of the world and you can't watch it at that time and you are trying to preserve it, or you're going to wait till the TV airs it later that day. So while I do think 
that Gordon's friend should have been more careful and expecting to be spoiled. Gordon was not particularly sensitive to this reality when he posted this thing on Facebook. And so I find in favor of his friend and I find against Gordon. Bad Gordon. Can we find have one more finding? Yeah, of course. Against the yahoos who buy the television rights to the Olympics and then don't broadcast them live as all sporting events should be broadcast? I, You know what, Jesse? You are absolutely right, and I appreciate your bringing that up. I, as a non-sports receptor person, wouldn't have thought to address that criminal behavior, but I think you're absolutely right. Sports should be broadcast live. Well said. Not like a weird... I can't even like... Like they skip so much stuff that it becomes incoherent. Yeah. I don't know. I sincerely have a really hard time watching the Olympics on television despite really liking sports. In fact, I would say perhaps because I really like sports. No, I would, uh, you know, and I would agree with you because one of the problems with the limps is that uh, it's a a corrupt organization. Fine. We'll put that aside. (laughs) But, you know... For, for American audiences, it has become entirely about narrative. And so it has become a constructed reality show rather than what it was when I was growing up, which was this incredibly boring slash soothing background noise that was on 100% of the time, day in, day out, night in, night out, of just weird sports unfolding in real time. And I really missed that. I really missed that real time women's pentathlon. You know what I mean? Yeah. So boo to people who buy the rights to Olympics and don't uh, air them. Uh, You caused not only Jesse sadness, but also Gordon got into a fight with his friend as a result. So I find against them as well. Here's something from Susan. My husband and I are both academics. I'm a PhD candidate and my husband works for a research institute. He's also planning to start a PhD soon. I believe we should do everything we can to go paperless. For my own work, I use an iPad, a stylus, and an electronic filing cabinet system to stay organized. My husband says that reading on an iPad isn't the same as on paper. He prints out all the articles that he wants to read. Once, he paid over $100 to have the articles of an online journal bound into books because he liked the aesthetics better. Similarly, he'll purchase expensive academic books when there are free electronic copies available from the library. I understand the nostalgic appeal of paper, but for a project as big as a Ph.D., he'll generate a lot of waste printing articles. He also risks losing track of paper articles over the course of four years. I ask the judge to order my husband to modernize his workflow, stop wasting paper, and use an electronic system for his research instead. Uh, no. I won't so order. <laughs> Next. Oh, do you want to hear why? Yeah, sure. Why not? Because information processing, that is the taking in of language and ideas and the expressing of language and ideas is highly personal. And brains are very different. And they take in information in different ways. And you're... I, while I appreciate you're throwing some shade on your husband by saying, my husband says reading an iPad, quote, isn't the same as on paper. It's not the same as on paper. Obviously, it's not the same as on paper. That's the whole point of an iPad. Now, look, I use all different kinds of media to get ideas into my head. And a lot of it is screens. 
I love reading books on my phone in a way that I never thought that I ever would because now I can wake up in the, the my favorite thing in, is to wake up at, at two o'clock in the morning when I wake up every night for no reason and instead of staring off into space because I can't turn on my light because I'm married and I don't want to wake up my wife, I can open up my ebook reader on my phone, which I have set to white on black, very dim, and just go through 30 to, you know, I can probably go through a whole uh, Parker novel as the amoral bank robber uh, that's the star of 39,000 novels by Richard Stark, an incredible crime series. Love it. But when I am trying to write a book, as in fact I am trying to do, staring at a screen becomes incredibly fatiguing. If I am researching, I would prefer to have printed out pieces of paper. And sometimes I write on a tippy-tappy, and sometimes I won't get there unless I'm writing uh, in pen by hand. And sometimes I won't get there unless I'm walking around and then stopping to write in a notebook. And sometimes I won't get the idea unless I'm taking a shower, which happens a lot. And then I have the most brilliant idea in the shower. And then I take out my iPad and I electrocute myself. Or I don't do that and I forget the idea. The point is, it's personal. And your husband has to follow whatever path it is that gets him to this PhD. Now, I appreciate that there is both waste and expense involved. On the matter of waste, obviously he can mitigate his carbon footprint in this regard by buying exclusively recycled uh, printing paper and being assiduous about recycling uh, the paper after he is done using it and using, you know, do both sides printing, et cetera, et cetera, and do some research at maybe a website called like uh, Wirecutter, which is the most ink-efficient printer and energy-efficient printer. The reality is he's still going to be using less energy than you are with your pads and your styluses and your pencils and such. It's trade-offs. And then with regard to the expense of having articles bound into books, that's just weird. Don't do that. Sorry, dude. That's just crazy. Um, but, you know, I think taking advantage of the library for printed materials as well as electronic materials is equally valid. You can go to the library and, and check out actual books. That's fun. But, you know, especially as he's processing all that stuff that he's getting from those articles, he may want to be making notes in the margins. That's maybe just how his, how his brain works. And I'm sorry that you uh, are married to a, a mid-20th century dude. But such that is as it is you as you are a creature of the future and he is a creature of the past so put that in your stylus and style it (laughs) not the greatest you know what not the greatest diss i'll admit but we're all different (laughs) well we'll come up with some better disses uh plus we'll have some listener letters about christmas trees when we come back in just a second on the judge john hodgman podcast it's not style us, it's style you. No, it's still no good. Let's just go to the break. Hello, I'm your Judge John Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is brought to you every week by you, our members, of course. Thank you so much for your support of this podcast and all of your favorite podcasts at MaximumFun.org, and they are all your favorites. If you want to join the many member supporters of this podcast and this network, boy, oh boy, that would be fantastic. 
Just go to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2020, 2024, 2020, Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I, I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step-by-step, day-by-day, bird-by-bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame, You can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A, frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. This week, we're clearing the docket. By the way, Judge Hodgman. What? Max FunCon tickets on sale, maxfuncon.com. Did you hear that whistle? Yeah, what does that mean? That means I'm excited. Awesome. You couldn't see me jump up and tap my heels together, so I had to do that. When is it? We're looking at June 9th through 11th here on the West Coast in Southern California in Lake Arrowhead, California, and Labor Day weekend in the Poconos on the East Coast. Both of them are going to be equally spectacular, and uh, we hope we will see you at one of them. I don't have a lot to plug because I'm hard at work on Vacation Land, the book version of my one-man-standing-up-talking-and-telling-jokes show that you may have seen Uh, across the country last year. I'm really excited for it. It'll be coming out this fall. Uh, But I do have one exception. I will be hosting Trivia Night for Cheaters at the Bell House on 
March 14th at 7.30 p.m. What is Trivia Night for Cheaters? Well, it's a regular trivia contest, except you can purchase all kinds of cheats, uh, little hints and, uh, and shortcuts and ways to beat your opponents. And all that money that you pay in to the cheat bank is donated to 826NYC, which, of course, is the great uh, tutoring service uh, that's been going on in Brooklyn, New York for many, many years, started by Dave Eggers out there in uh, San Francisco, where it began as 826 Valencia. It's an incredibly wonderful uh, place that offers um, one-on-one tutoring for high school and middle school students uh, here in Brooklyn. Just they drop in and they get some homework help. Uh, I've been proud to be a part of the organization for a long time, and this has been routinely a lot of fun. Uh, Trivia Night for Cheaters uh, is again at the Bell House on March 14th. Uh, you can get details at 826nyc.org. Form a team, buy some cheats, and, and have some fun for a good cause. Here is a case from Jenna. Okay. When giving food to homeless people, my friend says we should give only healthy food. He says it's harmful in the long run to give them things like fast food or chips. I argue that's ridiculous. If you're starving, then any food is better than no food. Neither of us are particularly healthy eaters, so it's also hypocritical of him to force a health food agenda on the needy. Well, this is a thorny issue, as all issues of whether and when to give to people who are asking for food or money in a public space are. Um, I would say that, you know, as someone who lives in New York City, this is, uh, and now has lived in New York City for almost 25 years, this is a big issue on the subway. People will come through with uh, with various um, sad stories, uh, various uh, obvious levels of... Um, of poverty uh, and making various specific requests, sometimes for money, sometimes for food. Um, the New York City subway system would ask you to not give to anyone because they don't want to promote this from happening at all. But of course, it's unavoidable and it happens all the time. And sometimes it's it's more prevalent than others. One of the things, if you live in a place with a with a large homeless population. Um, to appreciate and understand that homelessness is um, caused by a lot of different things. And sometimes there is hard luck. Sometimes there is, um, you know, uh, someone escaping an abusive situation. Sometimes it is mental illness, whether diagnosed or undiagnosed. And sometimes it is addiction that is at, at play. There have been times in my neighborhood in Brooklyn, a specific time when there's a guy who sits out asking for money uh, quite a bit. Um, when my wife offered him uh, a bagel uh, that she had bought, and he said, no, thank you, <laughs> not interested. And what can you do but, uh, but walk on? There was a woman who came on the subway just the other day who, who it was the most, after 25 years of living in New York, seeing people ask for help on the subway, I'd never experienced anything like it. She spoke to everyone as though they were a little baby, and she would go up and go, are you going to help me today? Are you? And it was m- magical. And I immediately, immediately gave her a dollar. I couldn't, I couldn't help it. It's hard. It's hard to determine what is the correct thing to do. Sometimes people don't want food. Sometimes people just want money. Sometimes people are, are beyond your reach of help. I will say this. Um, if you want to help, uh, the, probably the most effective thing to do is to give money food or your time as a volunteer to your local homeless shelter 
um, particularly, I think, those shelters that are offering shelter to uh, people who are uh, and their children who are escaping tragedy, fire, abusive relationships or whatever, um, and, and anyone. Uh, I think that's probably the most valuable thing you can do, um, in my mind, and or give money to an organization like City Harvest here in New York City, which um, takes uh, surplus food that is generated um, by all the many, many restaurants in, the, in New York City and um, redistributes it uh, to all shelters and food banks and charity kitchens all over uh, the uh, city. That's cityharvest.org if you want to give that a try. I, I tend to donate there. But that's it. What you choose to do based on your own conscience, and um, if you have excess food and wish to donate it directly to someone who is asking it for you on the street or on the subway, uh, yeah, just give them the food that you have. I think giving any food is fine, but your friend's social engineering ideas, I think, is really small bore thinking uh, in terms of what is a much larger issue which is the multifaceted and very thorny issue of homelessness in general and refusing to give someone a pack of Fritos because maybe you'll see them next time when you got an apple isn't going to address the issue in any way whatsoever. I would say, to paraphrase what you're saying, that simply put, that person is in a much better position uh, to decide whether it's worth them compromising on eating food that is unhealthy than you are. They are also an adult thinking human being who's capable of making a decision on that front. So uh, there's no need for you to make that decision for them. Well said, Jesse. And do you take issue with anything that I said? Because it's a very challenging issue. And you grew up in San Francisco, which has a very, very large uh, population of transients and, and homeless people, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, I grew up, I mean, it's it's one of the most famous and significant homeless populations in the United States because of the you know, unique combination of a reasonably strong social safety net uh, reputation as uh, a city to which people may come for opportunity, both economic and social, and uh, relatively mild weather, mm-hmm. um, and extraordinarily high housing prices. So it's a real perfect storm to generate homelessness. Um, yeah, I mean, I would agree that the Clearly, the most effective way to serve homeless people is by giving money in significant amounts to groups that do direct service to homeless people, uh, whether that's um, a shelter or a food bank or uh, an organization that places people in permanent housing, uh, organizations that do treatment, organizations that um, serve people's health needs on the streets and so on and so forth. That said, doing so does not preclude you from uh, giving people food or or money on the street. Um, And while I think it is perfectly reasonable to suggest for for the, you know, transportation authority to suggest uh, don't do that on the subway because, uh, you know, it's a place where, you know, people don't have the opportunity to uh, move away if they don't want to engage with somebody, for example. Um, And I think that there are you know, reasonable restrictions on panhandling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, generally speaking, if you are moved to give to someone, it will be a net positive, <laughs> you know? Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably have a life of extraordinary privilege. 
um, relative to someone who's living on the street. And so, you know, even if it is the worst case scenario, that person is an addict. Um, as my dad used to say, even junkies got to eat. And my dad used to, to be clear, my dad has been homeless and, um, you know, spent many years going to veterans AA meetings, um, which were predominantly homeless. Yeah. Uh, and I went with him for, for years when I was a kid as well. So, um, it is what it is. I, I don't blame anyone who, who doesn't give um, in person. But like, yeah, I mean, just remember, like, these are people capable of making their own decisions. Um, and, you know, it's worth it's worth respecting that. I mean, at the very least, you, you have to acknowledge that these are people. Yeah. You know, and they're and they're going through stuff that you're not going through. Here's something from Justine, uh, who, by the way, 12 years old. Thank you, Justine, for taking the time to write to us. I hope she's not asking me for money or food. (laughs) She says, I have a case for you. I want to get my ears pierced, but my dad won't let me until I'm 18 years old. My mom's fine with it, though. I'd like your help. Thank you for your time, Justine. P.S. My mom is the Nicole who told you about the Macintosh apples with salt. She loves your show. So does my dad, Steve. Well, Justine Salty Apples. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> daughter of Nicole Salty Apples and also Steve No Fun. Steve, <laughs> I don't know how to tell this to you. I'm going to explain to you that what I learned, again, as I do every year, as time moves forward in one direction. Yesterday was my daughter's birthday. She is 15 years old. She <laughs> could very easily, I think, uh, mo- very easily and successfully move to another city and live there and never speak to us again and do great. She is effectively a grown-up. The fact that I get to spend time with her at all is testament to the fact that um, she's interested in it. And I'm glad. I like her. Uh, Your daughter is not 15 years old. She's 12 going on 13. But she's moving well past that area where you can say what body modification she can make. And frankly, getting your ears pierced is not a big deal. I think 13 is a perfectly fine time to get one's ears pierced. And asking her to wait until she's 18 is something you might want to reserve for um, a neck tattoo or cutting off her leg and replacing it with a peg leg. Those are the serious body mods you got to ask your child to wait on. Um, But I think... uh, Nicole Salty Apples is just right, as, as moms often are, and I'm sorry that your daughter is growing up, but that's true. Also, your rule, uh, your rule about no dancing until she can afford her own house, also unreasonable. So you're going to have to just let her, let her go a little bit on this one. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. We actually got some follow-up letters from episode 292, Conifer Emptor. Do you remember this case, Judge Hodgman? Of course I do. (laughs) It was a pretty magical case. (laughs) Michael. It was Matthew and Michael. They live in the Boston area, if I remember correctly. That's in New England. Right. What county? Uh, It's either one of the folks or the sexes. Got it. Norfolk or middle sex or undersex or... You know what I'm saying. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Matt, Matthew and Michael disagreed whether they should get a, uh, what I was calling a, a, a live tree, but that's wrong. That's real or natural tree. Or keep using the artificial one. Michael was afraid that if they got a natural tree, it was going to burst into flames at any moment and attack their cats. Uh, but we heard from Lila, who wrote in with a few tips from Michael and anyone else with these concerns. She wrote in, I initially got an artificial tree because I was scared that the cats would ingest the natural tree. Well, that was Michael's concern. And according to Lila, it turns out cats love eating fake trees, which is really not good for them. Cats are going to try to eat everything is the thing. Whatever is going to cause you the most concern, once they sense that, that's what cats are going to do. She also mentioned that there are additives that one can put in the water, such as Bitrex. I guess we're going to buzz market that right now. This would make the water unattractive to the cats. Uh, None of those cats ever got sick from drinking tree water, though. I also will say, Jesse, that I recommended a tree stand that was recommended to me by the Sweet Home, that website that we love in Buzz Market all the day long. Yeah. It offers two advances over tree stands of the past. One, it uses a kind of um, clamp mechanism, a, a single lever clamp mechanism to grab the tree, which was incredibly effective in a way that I couldn't even possibly believe. And two, uh, the water reservoir is covered. So that's another way to keep... You know, you you don't, you, the cats can't get at that water. Lyle also wrote to say that, quote, for the paranoid person who wants a natural tree, at many tree lots around where she lives, one can get the tree sprayed with a fire retardant. My father got me a smoke alarm ornament a few years ago. It looks like a shiny ball, but has a sensor and a nine volt battery inside. I like that. There's also a, a guy working on a tree topper that doubles as an automatic fire extinguisher called the guardian angel. Oh, pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I love all this technology that might stop trees from catching on fire, but um, in in my many, many years of experience, no trees have ever um, self-combusted. And if you keep a, what do you call it, a fire extinguisher nearby, I think you'll be fine. And if you're going to go away for a while, get an in-home home home monitoring camera and stare at your tree from your phone all day long. (laughs) That couldn't have been the only letter we got about Christmas trees, was it? Oh, goodness, no. (laughs) Okay. Well, thanks, Lila. What's the next one? Well, you were talking about how a neighbor of yours when you were a kid used to put lit candles on the tree. Yeah. And 
Ava wrote in because she grew up doing this. She says, I come from Germany. We always had real candles on our Christmas tree. I was fascinated by your musings about the fragility of life, which were triggered by seeing insane people have fire in a tree in their living room. She says, through all of the 30 years of real candles, we never experienced dangerous situations. Well, technically outside of the continuous 30 years of dangerous situations of having (laughs) open flame on a flammable thing in their living room. She experienced dangerous situations, but not dangerous outcomes. Yeah. Even though I'm usually a very anxious person, the fact that this could be dangerous never even occurred to me. While having real candles is more the exception than the rule in Germany, it isn't completely unusual. Your thoughts about this and how strange you found it was very interesting and a bit funny as well. She sent us a picture of her tree, which we're going to post on the website, and it really does look quite beautiful. It's truly magical. This reminds me, though, of uh, my wife who attended a liberal arts college on the East Coast. Um, I'll go ahead and say it. Sarah Lawrence. My wife went to Sarah Lawrence and her dorm burned down, I want to say, three times in one year. (laughs) And the reason was because of people with open flame in their dorm rooms. Yeah, well, all right. If you're a college student, you shouldn't have a natural tree with candles on it. (laughs) I'm going to presume those were the open flames that you're talking about in the college dorm, right? That was probably... That was probably what was going on, was a lot of people with Christmas trees with candles on them. That was the only reason you would need to light a match in a, in a dorm, right? Yeah, well, certainly at Sarah Lawrence. At yeah, Sarah or Lawrence, maybe right. to char some kale. If you were at Bryn Mawr, it might be to light, to light a little fire under your cauldron for your coven meeting. Not a joke. <laughs> it happened. But yeah, I mean, yeah, the fact of the matter is whether it is a natural tree with phony lights on it or a natural tree with actual candles on it none of this was is natural you are bringing kindling into your home and if you're putting real fire next to it or you're putting your tree right next to a fire obviously there's a hazard there life is not without hazards and maybe these are hazards that are best navigated by non-college students but adults who have time to look at this tree and marvel and it's oh my gosh this photo is so glorious it is really nice So it reminds me of my father-in-law's attitude towards highway safety. My father-in-law has a very simple plan that he revealed for staying safe on the highway. And that is, I just won't have an accident. (laughs) (laughs) And while this is ridiculous and you can't control everyone on the road, there is a certain amount of sense to this into making the decision that I am going to drive down this road and not have an accident because there is a lot you can control in your own behavior if you decide to do it, such as, um, you know, driving the speed limit, not speeding, being extremely wary about moving into blind spots, um, using the sensors of all your cars, not texting, not talking on the phone, all these things that my father-in-law does, and especially keeping distance, as much distance as possible between you and every other car on the road safely Um, That is to say, treating everyone else on the road and in the world as a threat, something my father-in-law does not just on the highway, but everywhere else in the world as well. And so if you light your tree on fire, or light their candles on the tree on fire, and you say to yourself, I am not going to let this thing burn my house, I'm going to stay sober and watch it and, and revel in its beauty, probably you won't have a fire. So these things do involve risk. 
no matter what, there's risk involved in everything. All I'm saying, everybody, as we go into 2017, make a decision. Don't have an accident. Be careful. <laughs> the Judge John Hodgman podcast produced by the great Jennifer Marmer. Thank you, Jennifer. <laughs> Judge Hodgman, let's just say I'm one of the kind people listening to this program, and I've got a dispute that might be a good one for the judge, whether it's on a docket program or on our regular full in-court episode of Judge John Hodgman, what should I do? Should I just write it on a piece of paper, slip it into a bottle, put a cork in it, and throw it in the ocean? That's probably as effective as anything else, but you could. (laughs) No, there's a very effective way, a very easy way to do it. And If you've listened to this before, you probably know it, but it bears repeating. There's a form you can fill out at MaximumFun.org slash JJHo, or you can email me at Hodgman at MaximumFun.org. If you fill out that form, Guess what it does? It just goes to Hodgman at MaximumFun.org. Whatever is more convenient for you, it all comes into me. I review every email I get. I love hearing from you. I file them into the podcast pile, into the docket pile, into the New York Times Magazine pile. Uh, And I try to respond to as many of the non-case-related emails as possible, even if it's just with a simple thank you. Uh, I hope you understand that that thank you is coming from me, and I mean it. Thank you. I love hearing from you. And uh, obviously, we couldn't do the show without you. So I hope you'll consider uh, getting into a fight with a friend or a loved one and letting me tell you who's right and who's wrong. Hashtag it JJHO on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter at Hodgman and at Jesse Thorne. Join that Max Fun group on Facebook. And you know, there are local Maximum Fun groups sprouting up all across the country. It's not just the enormous one that Jeremy runs in New York, runs like a cruel dictator. Um, <laughs> there's... There's ones all over the country. So search on Facebook for Maximum Fun and, and where you live or Max Fun and where you live. And uh, you'll probably find some great people who live near you. Uh, you can also like Judge John Hodgman on Facebook. That's where we usually uh, post requests for case names. That's your chance at immortality. We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Bye bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.